Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 9 through 14 as we continue in our teaching series that we started a a few weeks ago that we entitled The Parables of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at a very simple and yet profound parable that's entitled The Pharisee and the Tax Collector. So it's only six verses long, and so with Uh, I was going to see if you guys wouldn't mind just in honor of the Word of God standing with me as I read the Scriptures. Luke 18, chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that understand for your glory and for our benefit. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you know, last week I explained as we were starting the parables, I explained how important it is when we are studying the scriptures, that we understand the context. We understand who the writer is speaking to, who the target audience is, and why. Why are they addressing that audience? And, you know, in today's parable, uh, we don't have to guess the who and the why because Luke clearly spells it out in verse 9. Let's look at verse 9 again. He says, Jesus also told this parable to, here's who he told it to, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus is telling a parable about, and he's addressing those who are self-righteous people, and they look down on others. You know, that's the fruit of self-righteousness, isn't it? The feeling that, you know, you're better than other people. That's something that Jesus is seeking to warn those who have ears to hear. He's seeking to warn us about this. Because there is a way to be justified 
before God, and there's a way not to be justified before God. And, you know, justification is amazing. I don't know if if I were to ask you to give me a, a definition of what it means to be justified, but justification is a... It's a legal declaration where, listen, the unrighteous are declared righteous. The unrighteous are declared righteous, not by themselves, but by God. God justifies the ungodly. And the reason he's able to do this is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Um, He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And, And because of this, we get credited that our sins have been paid for. We get credited for, with his righteousness, and he got credited with ours. That is how God is able to justly justify the unjust. That's what justification is, and it comes up all throughout the book of Luke. If you, if you remember last week in the parable that we looked at, the lawyer comes to Jesus, and it says, in order to justify himself, he asked him, who is my neighbor. If you go down just 18 verses in the chapter that we're in today, you'll read about the rich young ruler. I mentioned him last week because he also came to Jesus and he asked the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What was he asking there? He's he's asking, what do I got to do to be justified before God? And I want to, I want to look at these verses. It's, It's just right below the the passage that we're in. We're going to look at verse 20. Jesus says this to the rich young ruler. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Doesn't, Doesn't this sound familiar like last week's message a little bit? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, be perfect. He says, be perfect. And what does the rich young ruler say in verse 21? He says, all these I have kept from my youth. In his mind, he's thinking, I've done this. He must be comparing himself with the wrong person right? with this, right? Because as we studied earlier this year through the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments reveal that we have not kept them, that we have failed miserably in all of them if we let the, the, work, the law do its work in our heart and to expose us for who we are. But you know, there is something gnawing at this rich young ruler inside of himself. There's something gnawing at him. He knows he's a pretty good boy in the eyes of everybody else, but something's telling him, you're still not right with God. And that's why he, that's what he's asking. What do I have to do to silence my conscience? Because it keeps alerting me that something's not right. He knows, whether he knows how to verbalize it or not, He knows that he needs to be justified before God. He needs to be made righteous. And just like the the rich young ruler, we can also, listen, we also can get caught, even us who have put our faith in Christ, we can get caught in trying to justify ourselves. That somehow we go from faith to seeking how we can work how we can do good deeds, how we can merit God's favor and his approval. You know, that's what all world religions teach, isn't it? That you can be good enough. If you can do, just be good enough, then you can inherit eternal life. And that's what the Pharisees believed. There's a, 
a passage that's found in Luke chapter 16 where um, Jesus is addressing the crowds. He says this, he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he goes, You cannot serve God and money. Look what the Pharisees say in verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And so what does Jesus say to them? You are the ones who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Jesus is saying that you may appear righteous to everybody else, but God knows what's really going on inside. You're still guilty before God. And, you know, I grew up knowing that you don't want to be like a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the bad guys in the Bible. And that's because they were religious. It's not religion. It's what? Relationship, right? And I was like, God, I'm in relationship. I thank you that I'm not like them. The Pharisees. That's how I. That's kind of how I thought about Pharisees when I was was growing up. And then I began uh, to study what the Pharisees are like and what they believe believed. As I got into Scripture, and I was shocked to see that I'm more like a Pharisee than I realized. The Pharisees did not cease to exist after the biblical times. They just reinvent themselves. And uh, I was shocked to, under, to see what their doctrine is. I want to look at some of their doctrines of the Pharisees. See, see what you think about it. They believed in the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility, that, that God controls all things, but man's decisions really affect the outcome of things. Somehow those, th- those two things work together. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believe there is an afterlife with appropriate reward and punishment on an individual basis, that each person will be judged individually. They believe that the Messiah will set up his kingdom on earth, and they believed the spiritual realm, including the existence of angels and demons. They believe that these things are real. Now, if these doctrines sound familiar to you, it's because these are doctrines that we would hold dear to our hearts, aren't they? We're very similar in some ways. And it's important to understand, a Pharisee did not go around wearing a, a dark, sinister trench coat, you know, carrying a hatchet and, and a chainsaw, looking like Dracula or like Thanos from the Avengers. Rather, on the outside, they appeared wholesome and, and highly respectable. Jesus says that they were whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but on the inside that they were full of dead men's bones. And the Pharisees were financially wealthy, they were politically powerful, and they were greatly adored by the masses. I want you to imagine the richest person that you can think of in the world, like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. He's the founder of Amazon. Someone like that. Also, the most powerful politician you can think of. I'm not going to name any politicians up here because I don't want to get anyone angry, but just think of your favorite politician. Think about your favorite celebrity. You know, Paul McCartney, Kylie Jenner. 
I praise God I'm not alive. Steph Curry, right? And oh, okay. And one, one other thing. Think of your most respected Bible teacher that you can think of. John Piper, Tim Keller, Terry Hollifield. Think of all these people rolled into one. That kind of gives you a better sense of, of what a Pharisee was like amongst the Jewish people. Do you understand why Jesus was a threat to them when he began to point at them and say, this is the wrong way? That They knew the scriptures better than we do. And yet their knowledge fell short of justifying them before God. We have to be careful we want to be people of the scriptures, but not just up here, not just hearers. It's got to affect our hearts. It's got to produce the fruits of repentance and faith and righteousness. And, you know, that's what this parable is addressing. It's, it's addressing what true justification looks like. Because if you look at verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, at the very end of this parable, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And so in this parable, there's two men. They're both seeking to be justified. One does it the right way. One does it the wrong way. And so there is a lot that we can learn this morning as we're moving forward in this parable. So let's start with the Pharisee. Notice that the Pharisee is a very grateful man. Isn't that a good thing to be grateful Problem is he's grateful about the wrong thing. Look at, let's read it again. The Pharisees, the Pharisees standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. He's grateful. What? That I'm not like other men. What is he saying here? He's saying, God, I thank you that I'm awesome. That, that's really, if you translate what he's saying there, that is what he's saying to God. God, I thank you that I'm awesome. He's misplaced his thankfulness. He thinks he's better than those who are around him. Secondly, notice that he has an eye problem. You notice that? It's blinding him. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This is a beautiful, well, not beautiful. This is a picture of self-righteousness. He's the epitome of self-confidence. He's the epitome of self-justification because what he's doing is he's comparing what he does with someone around him that's not doing living up to his standard. That's down here. And that causes him to feel justified about himself. It's, it's false justification. Do you ever do that? Do you ever amaze yourself? Are you ever amazed at, at, at who you are at times? Now, I know we all can like feel like, oh, why did I do that? But are there ever times you're like, that's pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. We're, we're tempted to be impressed with ourselves, with our accomplishments, with what we do or what we don't do, what we have, how much we make. We can be proud about the doctrines that we hold to. Um, we, can, we all struggle with caring about what other people are thinking about us. 
And you know one way that self-justification comes out is, is in telling stories. Have you ever noticed that when someone's telling you a story, often uh, you're just tempted to wait till they get to the end and then top it with a better story? Are, you, you, do you guys know what I'm, I'm talking about? You wanna, they're telling you a story and you're like, I can't wait to tell my story. It's so much better than this story. Well, there's a comedian named Brian Regan who talks about don't ever tell a two-wisdom-tooth extraction story. Like, don't ever go into a crowd and say, you know, I had two wisdom teeth taken out. Because inevitably, there's going to be that guy or that gal in the, in the audience that goes, two? <laughs> That's nothing. I had four taken out. And he's going to try to top your story. He's going to say, you know, they were impacted. They were sideways. They were wrapped around my tongue. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers, and I was eating corn on the cob that afternoon. It's, we're always trying to top one another in our stories. And, you know, he goes on to say this. Why do people need to top other people? I don't understand it. But I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, you wait for their lips to stop moving. Right? And then you go, you, me, you, me. See the difference? And the person's like, uh, now, now I do. I didn't before. Who are you tempted to feel uh, contempt towards? Who are you tempted to look down on? We talked about this in staff meeting, and I, I made a little list. I'm not going to tell you who was tempted in what section here, but just know that our your staff, your pastors and staff know that they need a savior, that we struggle with the very thing that we're talking about here in this passage. Um, undisciplined and unmotivated people. Are you ever tempted by that? Like people that you think are lazy, that could be doing something, but they're not. Because you see yourself, man, I work hard. I've, a, I've taken the, those things that were given to me and I've taken advantage, advantage of opportunities and these people have been given so many opportunities, but they've just squandered, squandered it all. Do you ever feel like, God, I praise you, I'm not like that? When, how many times have you squandered things? Not spent your money rightly, not spent your time wisely. Or how about repeat offenders? People who keep repeating the same sin over and over and over. Maybe they've come to you for counsel and you gave them wise, biblical counsel. It's like, if you'll do this, you are going to live. What do they do? They don't take it. They do their thing. They go sin. They, they suffer the consequences. And, but then they become like a victim. Like, you know, everybody's against me. But, and they're like, but I know that God has brought this into my life for a reason. And I'm like, yeah, you're the reason that this was brought into your life. You know, those are things that we can look down on people like that until I remember, wait, how many times have I repeated the same sin? Or how many times have I been given counsel? My mom's sitting right here. She can tell you many a time uh, that that has happened. Or how about incompetent? Those who you think are incompetent or who lack social skills or awareness. 
You know, like when you're driving on the highway and that person's staying in the left lane, holding up traffic, and you're just like, get, oh, and you go up on, and they will not get over. Or how about the person that when they're putting something together, like they open a box and put something together, they read every page in the instruction manual when they could just look at the picture on the box. Now, I know that's who I am, and I annoy that person. I know I do. And I always have a few screws that are left over. But, you know, it's because that company wanted to give extra. It's not because I didn't put them where they should be. I'm not like them, you know. How about maybe you feel tempted to feel contempt towards those who show contempt to others? You following me? Like, you're... They show contempt to other people. They're racist. Mm. You're con- you feel contempt towards the racist or someone that's, that takes advantage of weak people. People that do credit card scams on the elderly. That, that type of, you feel this contempt toward like, God, I praise you, I'm not. Is there anybody, listen, is there anybody on your evil people list, you know, the people that you, that you see as evil, that you would say are evil, that are worse than you, that you, you, wouldn't, you might not say it this way, but deep in your heart, you're, you're thinking, they never, they never really could be forgiven by God. Like, if, if you saw them sitting next to you at church, you'd be like, I wonder if it really worked. I wonder if they're, I wonder if they're really forgiven in Christ. Is there anyone in your life that deep down inside you hope never truly comes to repentance? They're not, but they, maybe they've hurt you, and deep down inside you're like, I hope, I really hope they never come to Christ, because then I'll be forced to welcome them. You look down on them, just like the Pharisee is looking down on the tax collector. You're saying, you know, when we look down on, on other people, whatever your category is, whenever we look down on people, what we're saying is, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. I thank you that I'm better than them. And that's, that's the thing about self-justification. It is so subtle. It is very tricky. And when we justify ourselves by elevating ourselves uh, over somebody, then all we have to do is find that person that we feel like we're better than. There's always somebody that you can find and that you can feel better than. And that's what Jesus is addressing in the life of the Pharisee, being confident in himself because he's comparing himself to somebody. And Paul warns about this in 2 Corinthians um, 10 verse 12, he, he warns us about measuring ourselves by ourselves with one another. Because when we do this, we, we will leave without discernment. The standard that we will be measured with on the day of judgment, the standard, and, and just as a reminder, there is a day when we're all going to stand before the Lord and give an account for the lives that he's entrusted to us. And God will measure us according to our standard, and it's not one another. We're not going to be able to stand up there and go, you know what? I wasn't perfect, but I was better than that. 
We are not our standard. Our standard is God. Our standard is Jesus Christ, who is, was in every way tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. He was perfect, never failed. We are to stand next to perfection and compare ourselves to him, not to one another. But the Pharisee is comparing himself to the tax collector, and therefore he feels puffed up about himself. And you know, the tax collectors, honestly, they were known as as being greedy little leeches, and they were hated and despised by the Jewish people because the Jewish people saw them as traitors who sold out to the Roman government to take taxes. They were paid by the Roman government. And it's not that the job in and of itself is sinful. Even though you might think the IRS is sinful, you know how you feel about when you get a letter from the IRS? It's never money back, is it? It's usually asking for money. It's not a sinful position, but rather the thing that made this, these men sinful is that the, the Roman government gave them full power and authority to collect taxes, not just for Rome, but for themselves. Whatever they said to you is what you owed, you had to pay for it. And there was nothing you can do about it. There was nothing you could do about it. And they often did more than they should have in their greed. And many of them became rich by using their authority to extort money from their Jewish brothers. And again, you had to pay what they gave you, what they asked for. And, and, you know, all throughout the Gospels, the tax collectors are usually labeled with the sinners, tax collectors and sinners. For example, in Matthew eleven nineteen, they were accusing Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors were seen as being adulterous, People, not in the marriage sense, but adulterous towards the nation of Israel. And what's interesting, and I, as I was going through this passage, I noticed, listen to the prayer of, of the Pharisee. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. That, that is the sum of what the tax collector is, isn't it? He says, or like this Pharisee. They were despised. They were seen as the scum of society. And yet, at the end of the parable, Jesus declares, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, not the other. And just like Jesus always does, when he is teaching, when he is teaching, he turns everything upside down. He stirs the bee's nest. Because you know what he's saying? And the, and the Jewish, Jewish listeners would have been, their minds would have been scrambled. Because basically what he's saying is, you know, everybody that you think's righteous, they're not righteous. And everybody that you think can't be righteous, everybody that you think has sinned too much, they can become righteous. God has made a way for them to be justified, to be accepted by God. This was a radical truth for them. And it should be a radical truth for us also. So how, how um, if we're going to be justi- before, justified before God, we need to understand why God justified this man, this tax collector. So let's look at the tax collector, verse 13, what he does. It says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, 
a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Can you sense the heart of this man as you read that, as you hear it being read? This man is broken. This man has been cut to the heart. He, he is grieving over his sin before God. And unlike the Pharisee, he has found the key to unlocking the heart of God. And that key is humility. He has found the key of humility. Jesus says in, in verse 14, again, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Who is exalting himself in this parable? The Pharisee. He is going to be humbled if he doesn't repent. But the one who humbles himself, like the tax collector, will be exalted. And notice what the tax collector is not doing. He is not comparing himself with anybody but himself. He's looking at his sin, what he's done, what he is, and he's like, there's, there's nobody that is, in his mind, as sinful as me. He realizes the depth to some degree of his sin. He's also not commending himself to God. His sin is keeping him from being impressed with himself. That's a good thing if, if, we, if we do it, use it in the right way. Our sin can be used in the right way. Uh, this, this man is, is, is a man that's under conviction, and he realizes that his sin has offended a holy God and that he is in need of mercy. And in light of his sin, he knows that there's nothing that he is going to be able to do in order to atone for it by himself. Again, the key is humility if we're going to be justified. We've, we've said that before that humility is thinking of yourself less and thinking more of God. It's the, it's the ability to be free from yourself. You're not looking at your works. It's being freed from yourself in order to boast about God and about him and his works. It's the freedom to truly to be able to say, humility is the freedom. Here's how you know if you're walking in, in humility. You're able to say, not to us, but to your name, O God, be all the glory. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, the Apostle Paul reminds the believers in Corinth that most of them were nobodies in the eyes of the world when they came uh, to become disciples of Jesus. He says in verse 28, But God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see that, verse 29? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, I love this, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We sang about that this morning, about boasting in the work of Christ. 
When we're walking in humility, that's what we want to do as believers. We want to give glory to our God. We see things as they really are, and we want to give glory to God, not just with our mouths, but with the way that we live our lives. And we were created to boast not in ourselves, but rather in God from whom all blessings flow. That's what true Christian humility looks like. And it, and it doesn't, let me make sure, we've said this before, but, but I want to make sure I'm clear about something. It doesn't mean that we walk around um, like somber zombies pretending like we don't have any gifts or talents. You know, like the singer Adele saying, you know, I can't sing, I can't really sing. Yes, you can't. No, I can't. You know, that type of false humility. That's, that's not what we're talking about. What it, what it means is that we understand that everything that we have was given to us. It's not something that we, that we made. It's from God for his glory and for the benefit of others. In the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, one demon is writing to another demon, and he says this. He says, God wants to bring the man. He's talking about a, a guy that he's trying to tempt. So he's saying uh, tempt away from following God. He says, God wants to bring the man to a state of mind in which he could design the best cathedral. Now, you, hold on, I'm going to stop again, okay? You've got to pay attention to this or, or you'll get lost, okay? Because I did, but I kept reading it until I got it, okay? So let's start over. God wants to bring the man to a state of, of mind in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best and rejoice in the fact without being any more or less or otherwise glad at having done it than he would be if it had been done by another. God wants him, in the end, to be free from any bias in his own favor, that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents, or in a sunrise, an elephant, or a waterfall. It's like... God wants us to be able to look at what, he, what we've accomplished, how we've used our gifts, and instead of being puffed up in ourselves, that we, we are grateful and, and we're amazed at what God, and this is to, to truly be at this place is true humility. We're, we're amazed at what God has done through us. There is a place for that, to be able to take our gifts. and That's a great um, it's a wonderful thing to be able to take your gifts and just lay them at Jesus' feet and allow him to use them as he sees fit. It's a, it's a joy to be able to use your talents in, the, in that way. Which leads us to the, the final point or the, the final question, and that's what must we do? What, what must we do if we're going to be justified before God? What is the cure for Phariseeism, in other words? Well, there's two things I want to give us, and then we'll be done. Two simple things. The first is to believe and embrace the bad news. Okay, that's what the tax collector teaches us this morning. He believed and he embraced the bad news. And, and this is where people get tripped up. Um, when it comes to the gospel. This is where the Pharisee got tripped up because he can't bear the truth that he's not good enough for God by himself and that he's not better than everyone else around him. 
he doesn't realize that the Pharisee doesn't realize that he is just as sick and broken as this tax collector. That's something that we've got to understand. You know, the person that you think is the worst person sinner in the world, I don't know what your category is, but most of us have them. Did you know that you're just as guilty as that person is? You may not have done what they've done, but before God, you are just as unrighteous as that person. We've got to embrace that. We've got to see that. And and the reason that the tax collector goes home justified and the Pharisee does not is because he realizes there is nothing that he can do to justify himself. There's no way he's going to fix in his own power what he's done. The law of God has exposed him for who he is, which is a sinner. It has slain him. It has popped that pride bubble within him. And when we see truly see our fallen condition, it causes us to shut our mouths. It it, it causes us to to cease boasting about ourselves. There's no self-righteousness. Look, there's no contempt for others when we see ourselves as rightly under the law. You know, the most humble people in the world are those who see their sin, are broken by it, and realize what they deserve. That they, would, that they deserve the wrath of God. And, you know, when we're confronted with our sin, as we're being this morning, as we're confronted, there's several ways that we can respond to it. Number one, we can be like the Pharisee and go, no, I'm really not that bad. Look at what I, look at, look at what I do. I do so many good things. Or we can, number two, we can have apathy, and we can say, yeah, I agree. I'm bad. I'm really bad. Uh, I've seen people say, you know, I I know I'm going to hell, and I'm just going to enjoy the ride on the way down. And listen, if that's you this morning, I just want to, I just want to plead with you that that is, uh, you're 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 not that you don't mean that. You don't realize what you're saying. And it's not just the judgment that I'm I'm wanting to talk about. It's what you're missing in Christ. You're missing out on what you were created to do and to be to be a vessel that boasts in God, being freed from ourselves. So you might be having apathy, or you might agree and go, yeah, I'm horrible, but it leads you to depression. It leads you to despair. You're you're ridden down with guilt. You're beat down by your sin and shame. You think God doesn't really care about you, and that's not the truth. That's not the gospel. That's not what these truths are meant to do. God's not wanting to put, his, um, put you down under his foot. You're very valuable to God. We are very valuable to God. And that's where we don't stop there with what I just shared, that you're just a bad person. You don't stop there. You got to keep going forward. You need to believe that and embrace the good news. So the first thing we do is we believe and embrace the bad news. Second is that we believe and embrace the good news. And you know what the good news is? God justifies the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. Believe and embrace the bad news. And when we do, we cry out to God like this this tax collector. God, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. And when we do, we receive mercy and forgiveness and righteousness, a righteousness that is not one that we produced. It's the righteousness that Christ purchased or that he earned, and he reckons it, um, applies it to us, and we are seen as righteous. We are justified. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So let's believe. Let's embrace the bad news and the good news and go home justified in Christ. Amen? He who has ears, let him hear.